I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. podcast with me Carly. Hope you are all well witches. To kick things off today we have our book review and our book is Her Majesty's Royal Coven written by Juno Dawson. I initially fell in love with this book possibly due to it being a fuchsia pink hardback with goats on the front. I've seen some amazing different copies of this book and I had to have one. I received a copy for my birthday and I'll be honest, some of the Goodreads reviews did make me hesitant in starting to read it. I wasn't sure if it would be for me, but I loved it. I wouldn't say it's a cosy witchy read. It tackles many different issues throughout the book, namely around sexuality, which I can't say too much on without giving some of the books a plot away. However, I will say I felt this was tackled really well as were many of the issues within the book, and it was good to see. The main characters in the story are Helena, Neve, Leonie and Elle, who we meet as teenagers at the book's beginning, in a treehouse with candles burning upon summer solstice eve, arguing over who's marrying who out of Boyzone. If you were too young to know who Boyzone are, they were an Irish pop band of the 90s. There are many 90s references in the book, like the arguments over who would play which Spice Girl. And I have to say, this is an argument me and my girls used to have at school at their peak. I was Baby Spice as I was a blonde. The fact I went to the cinema to see the Spice World movie, oh dear. Anyway, I digress. We push forward to the girls 25 years later. I really liked the main characters, especially Neve and Leone. My mum's called Leone, shout out to my mum. The book is split between being based in Hepton Bridge, where Neve and Elle are based, and the teenagers all started out, and London, where the government department for witches are based, and Helena and Leone reside. I loved Leonie. She was really tough, says it how it is. Her character delves into a lot of issues around race. One of my favourite scenes involved her when she goes to visit a voodoo necromancer in London. There is a sacrifice made for her to have a reading. The description of the witch and her house was brilliant, along with the fast-paced scene. And much of this book is fast paced. It is a real page turner. I couldn't put it down. 
It is distinctly modern British. It still tips its cap to the oldie worldiness of the UK. I can't say too much without giving the story away. Although I will say, I didn't feel the blurb read like how the book does. I even saw somebody on Goodreads say the same. Basically, it's centred around a government body for witches who keep on top of witchcraft throughout the UK. Leonie has broken three of this. She has her own movement. All the four women have at some point worked for or had involvement with Her Majesty's Royal Coven. It felt really weird to read this book not long after Her Majesty actually passing here in the UK. I won't say I am a royalist, but I did have some affection for the Queen. It might be because my nanny Rose didn't look dissimilar to her, but I think many of us were quite sad to hear of her passing. I do find it funny that this book and one of my all-time favourite books, The Secret History of Witches, written by Louisa Morgan, see the Queen in cahoots with us witches. In this book, the Queen has her own coven. It does make you wonder. It did give Ministry of Magic type feels, but in a more spy, like James Bond way. And I really liked that. After my hesitance in reading this, the minute I started it, couldn't put it down. I was hooked. I inhaled this book in no time. And I think you will too. It has been hard to write this review without giving too much away. There is so much storyline but the pace is really even. It kept me gripped start to finish, which I felt was a great talent of the writer. One thing I will say is you will not ever predict any of the twists ever. Honestly, my jaw dropped at one point. I did not see a thing coming. So I hope you love this book as much as I did. So I need to give you a bit of a major update today, if you will lend me your ears for a few moments. Rachel the Hedgewitch and I have joined forces. So the White Witch Coven over on Patreon has been rebranded and now has two of us hosting it. So we can maximise the offerings for our Patreons and delve into some new areas. So it has had a major shake-up. First and foremost, it is now rebranded and titled The Witches Institute. We do have some bigger, longer term plans for Patreon, but initially we wanted to work on the community side of Patreon, the name being a slight homage to the Women's Institute, but instead of Jam and Jerusalem, think Hexes and Heretics, only joking, but it's become a kind of theme for us. So here is now what you can access within our Patreon. So our Patreon is packed full of content. On the first of each month, we release either a folklore tale, ghost story, or give you the story of a historical haunted or witchy location or of a witch in history. We release four Hedgewitch studies per month with grimoire sheets for you to add to your book of shadows, covering a power animal, crystal, plant and tree. On the 15th of each month, we post an exclusive Patreon podcast episode along with grimoire sheets. You will also receive grimoire sheets for the White Witch podcast too. 
We will have pre-recorded online video workshops you can access on the 22nd of each month with Grimoire Pages notes. We have our meditation or shamanic journey that's delivered on the 28th of each month. We host a monthly get together for the Sabbath or if the month doesn't hold one for the full or new moon. This gives us the chance to discuss witchy themes and provides opportunity to seek out advice or assistance for within your craft overall. We have the Literary Witches Coven. This is optional, but within this, we read a book together each month and we have a meeting to discuss and share our reviews on it. We also have our amazing witchy community to interact with. They are wonderful witches. Our Patreon has been running for over a year. So if you join now, you will have access to a ton of witchy content in the back catalogue. It is just £6 per month. So please check out the link in the show notes to find out more and sign up. Cannot wait to see you there. Now, in section two, you have no idea how excited I have been to share this. I am sure you've all heard me rave about Danielle Dolsky, and I cannot believe I'm about to say this, but after the break, you will hear an interview I had with her recently. Let me put it this way. I love her writing so much. In the acknowledgements for my book, I wrote, literary geniuses whose work inspires me on the daily, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, Danielle Dolsky, and musical genius Ben Howard, whose words saw me through the darkest of days and the writing of this book. I didn't tell Danielle that that was in my book. I didn't want to fangirl too much and freak her out. But you can imagine how nervous and excited I was for the opportunity to interview Danielle, like genuinely interviewed my hero. I need to calm down a bit. (laughs) Danielle and her team have kindly let me read one of the beautiful stories from her book, The Homecoming of Dear Woman is the story, and this is from her new book, The Holy Wild Grimoire, a heathen handbook of magic spells and verses. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Welcome back. 
So as you can imagine, I am over the moon to be here with the wonderful Danielle Dolsky. Hello, Danielle. Hi, Carly. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, you are so welcome. You have no idea how excited I am that you are. And I'll keep a rain in the fangirling as much as possible. Um, Danielle Dolsky, as I'm sure all the listeners know, we've like reviewed your books. They've heard me raving about you enough. Danielle Dolsky is the author of The Holy World, Sacred Hags Oracle, Seasons of Moon and Flame, Woman Most Wild, and most recently, I have in my hands her new book, which is beautiful, The Holy Wild Grimoire, a heathen, visionary, painter, poet, storyteller, and word witch. She teaches internationally and has facilitated circles, embodiment trainings, communal spell work, and seasonal rituals since 2007. She's the founder of the Hag School and believes in the emerging power of wild collectives and southern circles of curious dreamers, cunning witches, and rebellious artists in healing our ailing world. Lovely to have you, Danielle. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so I'm just going to get into it. I'm really excited because I'm holding a copy of your new book, The Holy Wild Grimoire. Danielle, tell us about the title of your book. What do these words mean to you? Yeah, so I'm looking at grimoire in a way that kind of goes back to the original etymology of the word, which is grammar. So it's not so much a book of uh, spells or, or herbal correspondences or the way that we're used to thinking of a occult grimoire. It's more about inviting the reader to write their own grimoire that's sort of born from their own story and not just not just their story as in the past, but also where they are right now at this weird chapter in the world story that we're all living. And then also their visions for the future. So that's the grimoire part. The holy wild, you know, <laughs> that is those are my two two words that I kind of live by. That's my um, personal philosophy for, for witchcraft and basically my whole way of being in the world, which is naming um, the elements and nature and the witch's ecological position. So not just where you are, but also when you are. So one of my, two of my big questions are why witch, why here, why now? Um, mm -hmm. So the Holy Wild sort of speaks to that for me. Why witch, why here, why now? I'm here to come back to the elements and the, the land and water teachers that I've been privileged enough to, you know, have, have met throughout my life and naming all of that as holy or sacred instead of just kind of taking it for granted like I did for probably most of my life. <laughs> we always find don't worry I completely completely resonate with that no I love this and I always love your use of words like you are such a you are an absolute word witch like that's why I love what you do like your work is so good on that front um come, coming back to that as well because this is this fascinates me because the introduction to the book is called I love this love letters on a deathbed can you tell us why yeah, well, <laughs> love letters on a deathbed. 
So, you know, it was sort of a, a mythic image that came to me, um, I don't even know when, but not, not all that long ago within the last few years of leaving love letters on a deathbed. And it's been a theme in my family. And I know that it's not unique to my family, but it does seem to be somehow, you know, integral to my family story that we do have a lot of people that have died, you know, in hospice and, and in their own homes. And it's sort of this long, usually this long process of people coming and leaving food and, um, uh, you know, kind of giving the good memories and bringing photographs and all of that. So that's happened quite a few times uh, with family and friends in my life. And while I don't really remember ever actually leaving a love letter on one of the death deathbeds, it was yeah. still about, it was still very much about that, you know, like naming this person's life story as holy. So I was thinking about how that could be translated to the world story and where we are right now in this kind of global initiation that I think we're all living through and then, and nobody else has to buy into this. But I really believe that, especially if you claim the name witch, you chose, you signed up for some, you know, crazy stuff. <laughs> you decided to be born, <laughs> you decided to be born here and now, and you claim the name, which you kind of signed up for this global initiation. And so even though your story might seem like a small one, or my story seems like a small one to me, we can look at it as really a microcosm of the global initiation. So what's the larger thing that's dying? Um, how can we leave love letters on the deathbed of what we maybe were raised believing the world was going to become? And now mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are realizing, oh, maybe that was never really true in the first place. And there's a grief to that. And so, you know, love letters on a deathbed, it isn't about letting it weigh you down or, or becoming stuck in or wallowing in the grief, uh, but kind of mourning the myths that failed to fruit and holding the tension of the now and being able to be in this place of kind of intentional awe. So, you know, when we grieve well, we're able to really be stunned by the magic of the moment, even though there is a lot of death and crumbling to bones institutions and climate collapse and all of those things that we could name. There's still a real mythic beauty in all of that. And you know, uh, so that that was that that was my original idea of the book, and so the love letters on the deathbed was like, how do I write an introduction that says all of that <laughs> and doesn't bum people out? <laughs> and, I, oh, sorry, Danielle, sorry. No, go ahead. I have just started reading the book, and honestly, it's so funny because it's like it turned up, and in the Patreon, there are so many themes, like about the elements, and even the aspect of the love letters on a deathbed going into that chapter, and I'm like, this has turned up at my door the right time. There are so many discussions we're having around so many different elements of the book. Obviously, the book, I'm I'm desperately like excited to talk about it on one of our reviews on a further podcast. So that will be coming to the podcast. But honestly, there's so much in this that has just been, even before it landed on the doorstep, aspects and conversations that us witches have been having. So you've definitely like, yeah, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> honestly, honestly. So... Uh, you write about the importance of finding guiding myths. 
during times of uncertainty why do you feel Daniel that this is important yeah guiding myths or maybe not myths but guiding stories of any mm. kind even if it's a folk tale or a fairy tale or the Netflix series that you're watching I think that <laughs> they can really even the more modern stories they can really be oracles and so you know when you are really feeling into a story i mean again even if you're like binging something on netflix and you're sort of wrapped up in this story in that moment you really are in you you really have a more narrow focus and so maybe and we could say all sorts of things about how we escape through the Netflix series and everything, but maybe it's something a bit more magical than that, where it isn't necessarily only escapism. Sometimes stories illuminate what needs to be seen. And so mm. I often point people, especially writers who, you know, maybe they're trying to write a book and they're stuck, you know, watching something on uh, Hulu or whatever. <laughs> they just, they aren't writing, but they're watching this story. So. I always say, you know, instead of being really judgmental over why you're, you know, spending hours and hours in front of the screen, what is it about that story that is intriguing you so much? And there could be an archetypal seed that's present in that series that you're binging that is speaking to really, a, you know, your deeper soul's purpose or what your art is here to, to do and say. Um, so... So yeah, so stories like they they have a way of allowing us to not swim in all of it and be in this, you know, intense uncertainty and allow us to see what we need to see just in the way that we would pull an oracle card for instance from an oracle deck and it would kind of show mm -hmm. us this one singular thing. A story can do that also. So I do feel like stories are kind of the oracle for right now when we have so much uncertainty and, you know, we could be moving toward this activism or we could be doing this art, you know, we have this kind of um, immense uh, weight of choice on our shoulders all the time, but a story can kind of alleviate some of that weight and show you what needs to be seen right now. That Netflix an analogy is making me question, like, what's the stories that I'm telling myself? What have I got? <laughs> it's so true. It really makes you think, you know, what am I like constantly? What are the patterns in the stories that I, I, I seek and I'm looking for? Not just in books, but yeah, like you say, even into what we're watching on Netflix. So, yes, I, I love that. I love that analogy. Yeah. Um, so the book is organized around the five elements. So can you talk a little about how this relates to witchcraft from your perspective? Yeah, the the elements are something, a lens that I started using when I started teaching a lot uh, about, you know, witchcraft and ritual and storytelling. The elements seemed to me like a really accessible lens that didn't really you know, inadvertently exclude anyone. We all can come back to nature. A lot of times newer witches 
um, you know, when they're coming to the craft, they have this sense of like, what am I going to root my craft in when I'm not a hereditary witch or I don't know much about some of my lineages or I don't like mm -hmm. some of my lineages, then what do I root my craft in? The elements is something that's really universal. You know, we're all human. So we are all of the earth, we're all here. And so the those five elements are what I found to be a pretty accessible lens that I can teach through. And similar to the way I was saying, stories can kind of reduce that weight of choice. The elements can do that also. You know, if we're focusing on, say the water element and we are really focusing on creativity and sensuality and sexuality that allows us to stay rooted in that place for a time without maybe having to consider all of the other aspects of our lives and life areas like you know spirituality and family and home and money and all of those other things if we're focused on water we're focused only on art and sensuality and creativity so um, so yeah, so my ele the elemental lens is a way of just kind of organizing the different practices, rituals, and life areas that the witch may be called to focus on. I think you do this really well as well, like breaking things down, because I'm coming back to like Season of Moon and Flame, where you've done that seasonally. And that was a book I loved, like worked through throughout the year, honoured at different Sabbaths. It was done in a different way. And I loved that. So I think that's like why I'm looking forward to getting into more on this, because I know that you're like really get into it. So, yeah, I, I know you do do that well. So, yes, I'm looking forward to that part. And in regards to your former books, so your other books rather, The Holy Wild Grimoire, of course, builds on your previous book, from what I understand, The Holy Wild, A Heathen Bible for the Untamed Woman. So what are the differences between the two, Danielle? Yeah, so the, the original idea for this new book, The Holy Wild Grimoire, was that it was meant to be a handbook or even a companion journal for The Holy Wild, A Heathen Bible. And then I started writing it and it started to become, you know, maybe I'm just not good at writing something that's so simple or something like that, but it started to kind of evolve and become something much bigger that felt more like a grimoire. And so that was when the title changed and the book kind of evolved. So it's different in a lot of ways. Um, the Holy Wild, the Heathen Bible, first of all, it was written it, it came out in 2018, but I wrote most of it in 2017 and some and some at the very end of 2016. So it was written from a place of real righteous feminine rage. Um, and I wrote it <laughs> yeah. relatively quickly and there's a lot of heat and anger in it. Um, and I think that that probably comes through in reading the book. So it's sort of working with the elements, but really, you know, the more fiery aspect of all of the elements. <laughs> even yeah, even yeah, either, yeah. <laughs> um, has a little bit of fire to it in the holy wild but this new book the grimoire is more about kind of amplifying the reader's own uh, memories and then visions for the future and it's i think less angry at least um overall i mean there is some rage in it but uh i think it's overall a bit less angry and it's more about balancing these five different elements in your life and allowing the stories that are in the book to kind of be primary in the holy wild 
the 2018 Holy Wild. The stories were a bit secondary, I think, to the rituals and the spells and the verses that were there in the Holy Wild Grimoire. The stories are kind of the, the foundation and then the reader kind of builds their own grimoire by allowing those stories to illuminate what wants to be seen. Oh, I love the talk of stories because I I love the stories in yeah in your book so brilliant and actually coming back to the stories so so in regards to like you having a deep reverence for our ancestral stories why do you see this as so important I know this is like a theme that kind of runs through a lot of your work yeah it's it's an interesting question that I probably give a different answer to every time I asked <laughs> that question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the ancestral stories. So there is a communion that goes on between the, the storyteller and also the listener, whoever's listening to a story. There's kind of a communion that goes on between them and the story. And there's something otherworldly about it that's pretty difficult to explain. Um, when you're telling a story or you're writing a story, you can get to a place where, not every time, but a lot of times you can get to a place where you really do feel like the language is coming through you and it's not really born from you. And in my experience, that happens a lot more easily and quickly with the ancestral stories. Um, there's a kind of familiarity or a, a memory that somehow feels like it's in the bones. Um, and it's, it, it just feels like a little bit easier when you're working with the stories from your own lineage that there's somehow like Dear Woman, for example, is an Irish myth. That's the story lantern in the book of earth in the new book. And my whole mother line is Irish. And so, you know, when I heard that story for the first time, I wasn't familiar with it. And yet it was like, oh, but I know this story. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's going. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait to read that because I have also got a lot of Irish ancestry. So that's really going to resonate. But yeah, we've actually been talking a lot about the um, the deer goddesses and all of that background in, in you know, on the podcast and so on. So, yeah, that's that's definitely going to be something I'm looking forward to getting into. In regards to this book overall, what is the greatest takeaway that you hope readers will get from your book? Well, what I hope they take away, I uh, maybe it's the greatest one, but something that I really do hope that they take away is that their own words, their own language, their own writing can really be an oracle, almost like an instant oracle. So it was sort of a secondary goal in the book to have these series of practices that I would call word witchery practices, where you sort of are able to use your own writing as oracle. So in a way that, you know, if you were to approach the greatest psychic in the world today, and you would ask them a few <laughs> questions, you know, what ask, what questions would you ask the greatest, greatest seer, if you could visit yeah. them, you can really divine the same answer, I mean, even more potent answers from your own writing really quickly. And you don't, 
there, you know, there's a healthy skepticism until you do it. And then as soon as you do it, it only takes, you know, five or 10 minutes. And then it's really this wow moment where you realize, oh, I really do have this um, portal to the other world that's always available to me in the form of language and writing. So that's something that I really hope every single reader takes away, even if it's just one, one of those practices that are in the book, some, some sort of proof or evidence that word witchery works and is real. Oh, I love this because I feel that that's so important as well for you know, regardless of where you feel that you're at within the craft or what your take on it is, it's just that trusting your take on it and making it your own and making it bespoke to you. You know, I think that's one of the wonderful things about um, our interest in the craft and, and everything we learn. So yeah, I think that message is always very clear for your books, but I'm glad that that's, and, and I like the concept of the grimoire and making it your own. And, you know, I know that's a key theme of the book. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into this one, Danielle. Yeah. I have a cheeky question to ask you, if that's okay, that I ask like everyone that comes on the podcast, if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> so Danielle, what music do you tend to listen to when it comes to perhaps ritual work that you do and alternatively, like perhaps when you're writing? Yeah, it's good that you're you're naming specific life areas and <laughs> categories because I do have a pretty eclectic music taste. My Love. father, who died in 2007, he was a DJ. And so I grew up, um, you know, he would give me quarters. So he would give mm -hmm. me like, he would pay me if I could name you know, the year that a classic rock album came out or if I could name the artist or if I could recite the lyrics of a certain song. Um, so I sort of grew up doing that. So I do listen to a lot of music from the 60s and 70s. 70s. Janis Joplin's one of my favorites. Ritual though, ritual. And also to sort of muse me before I write, it's usually Dead Can Dance. I love Dead Can Dance. Um, yeah or sort of like the more, um, you know, mournful, more mournful lyrics that are kind of full of nine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, that kind of gets me in the right place for writing. Cause I really do write from this kind of underworld place, even though, um, you know, people are always surprised that I laugh so much and that I'm a relatively happy person when they only know me from my writing. <laughs> Oh, no, honestly, I'm not at all. I kind of like, no, I think I, it sounds so weird, Daniel, like you are like in my mind, like, so I've tried, okay, so anyone listening to the podcast will probably be surprised at how quiet I've been in this whole interview, because I've been so nervous about Daniel coming on, because anyone listening to the podcast, I'm trying not to weird you out, Daniel, by fangirling you. But yeah, <laughs> they know I love your work, like genuinely, they're all going to be like, oh my God, like, you know, they, that I've, I, that I've had you on because yeah like you um you are like the Charles Dickens of witches books I'm confident in this like you are so poetical the detail honestly like that is why I feel that you stand out so much um and that's the kind of writing for my love and I know many others do so you've completely cracked it it's very there's that you've got that balance of it being like very poetical but so much knowledge in there as well and I think that that's like a real talent to have so yes thank you for your work honestly um 
but yeah that's why I've been very quiet today guys because I'm really like you know fangirling over here trying not to weird Danielle out but Danielle thank you so much for coming out is it coming on um yes. so like obviously we have all your um all your socials in the show notes but is there anything you want to tell us before you go about uh, you know when the book's out or you know any other bits coming up that you would like to notify us about or yeah I'll just hand it over to you for a moment <laughs> <laughs> this is always the funny part of interviews because I do I have so much going on um so the book the book is will be out in the in the UK I believe uh, I believe like the first week of October so it'll be it'll be out um, then and and it's already out in the states and Canada and yeah. then for the other offering so I do teach a lot of writing and and word witchery and the best mm -hmm. place to go to look at all of those things would be daniellodolsky.com and then I also mm -hmm. have the hagschool.com is where I have uh, I have a virtual coven that people can join there's um, there's the heathen imaginarium which is sort of this very bizarre um, uh, what, how can I even describe the heathen imagine? It's sort of this, <laughs> this um, bizarre um, encounter with 12 different archetypes. And, you know, there's these different rituals and practices that go with each archetype. So that's there. And yeah, all sorts of other things too. So the hagschool.com and danieldolsky.com are the best way to see what I've got going on. Bizarre is always good, but I will link everything in the show notes so you can find all of Danielle's work. Honestly, could not recommend her books enough. You must get this one. We'll review it on the show soon. But Danielle, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Carly. I'd love to come back too anytime. The Homecoming of Dear Woman, written by Danielle Dolsky from the Holy Wild Grimoire. Some say the gods left these lands long ago, but I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. Fool say I was cursed by a beauty that made me a target, but I ask you, what wild thing has not felt hunted by the long fanged shadows? What creature lives on this earth without beauty? I was pristine in my wildness. I was unbroken by life. And our story begins here in the time of my innocence. Can you see me nested by the soft running waters on an autumn evening? Weaving sun wheels from dead ivy, can you sense my peace? Can you hear my song? I come from a long line of shapeshifters, I do. I am dear woman, I am forest dweller, and I am more ancient than any human hunter, older than any god you might call old. Some say the gods left these lands long ago. But I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. I am deep time. I am a perpetual bud before the bloom. I am the eternal sun shower 
and the sound of night birds waking. I am what wildness dreams of. I am the slow beating heart of a child's hope and I am the infinite possibility of an early dawn. Were human eyes to behold me here, I wonder if they would see me as you see me, just as I was, a maiden made more whole by her solitude, or if they'd see a lone fawn forsaken by her mother. I wonder if they would see beauty or prey, innocence or invitation. This was how he found me for the first time, the shadow man, the dark mage. There is something about a woman weaving that speaks to our power, I think. A wise one knows not to interrupt. A wise one understands the sanctity of these moments. The holy hands that pray in deft dips and upturned palms. The piercing and the lifting. The through and the out. To weave is to worship the eternal becoming. To weave is to become God and only a beast would interrupt such ceremony. It was not me he coveted, I think. It was my presence. It was my peace he wanted to devour. My particular serenity he had never known. He wanted to make a sanctuary out of my flesh, to make me a refuge from his torment. And I tell you this without a drop of that insidious poison called regret. I did not refuse him. Some say the gods left these lands long ago, but I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. His face was twisted in a pain I had no name for. He knelt beside me and bowed his head. He was shaking with a need I never knew. And in that moment, I welcomed him into the healing temple of my body. He wanted to swim in the waters of me and I let him. He wanted to drink of the medicine between my thighs and I let him. I was antidote to the baneful and bitter brew of his own forgetting. And there by the cool stream while the gloaming cast our bodies in a dual orange light. I helped him remember what he had lost. A bone deep trust in his own worth as a wisdom keeper. So yes, I was the source of his rebirth. I was the reason he remembered the very magic he would use against me. I was his vessel of transmutation, his crucible, his femme god. For years, he worshipped at the temple of me. Some say the gods left these lands long ago, but I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. I'll tell you now of something only the wisest ones understand. Sometimes in order to reclaim even an ounce of forgotten self-worth, one must reject a god or two. Sometimes a soul so weakened by the world seeks a certain vicarious power by kneeling at the feet of another they name holier than themselves. And sometimes that same soul has no choice but to spit on the very God they once named divine, if they are to truly heal. It happens so slowly, this monstrous dance, but I could see it coming. 
I could see a flicker of disdain in his eyes when I told him I wanted to be alone. I sensed when he had to take a breath before speaking as if he was straightening his mask. With every bit of his own power he regained, his disgust with me grew. The shadow man, once so taken with the way I walked the earth, whole unto myself, opening myself to others I deemed worthy, began to whirl with ire when he saw me with other lovers. His lips stopped dripping with love songs and started cracking under the heat of jealousy. And one night when all our people had gone to sleep, he bade me walk with him to the Hazelwood. Some say the gods left these lands long ago, but I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. I believed this would be our final severance. I believed he was going to leave and never return. And for this reason only, I went with him. He had never harmed me before, you should know. He had never laid an uninvited hand on my skin and he had never given me reason to believe he would use the most vicious magic against me, his healer, his lover, his friend, his priestess. The new moon was overhead this night and I could hear the songs of my grandmothers echoing through the trees. I could feel them around me and I knew it was time to harvest an ancestral treasure I had never before used outside my dreams. I had not needed to, but now I did. I had gone too far. We were too alone. And this was not the man I had known. Fools say it was he who cast a spell on me, changing me into a deer as punishment for refusing his love. But this is not the way it happened. He would have killed me, that beast. He would have beaten me and left me there in the hazel wood to become food for the wolves but my ancestors would not let that happen. His cold hand gripped my arm. I wailed and suddenly we were surrounded by a herd of antler-crowned creatures who spoke like I spoke, who dreamed what I dreamed. I could hear their words and I took their direction. My snout grew long, my eyes grew sharp and wide, my limbs stretched longer and longer and longer still, Because no, this man could not take my life from me. No, this man did not deserve my blood and my breath. I house more magic in the pink of my tongue than he has in the whole of his bloodlines. He is a magician and a shadow man, but I am dear woman joining the herd of grandmothers. I am mist keeper and green dweller. I am shapeshifter and he cannot know the majesty that is me. Some say the gods left these lands long ago, but I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. Time moves differently in the creaturely realm, you know. I cannot say how many years went by, but I can tell you I was content in my wildness. The joy of wandering and loving and resting and belonging in this land is something many have forgotten, but the dear people remember well. I spent those years learning the stories of my shape-shifting grandmothers, their names and their tales of birth and death. I learned wild poetry from the oak and the rowan, and I watched my human brethren from afar. 
I watched the shadow man become both feared and revered for his magical skills. I heard him speak of how he enchanted me into a deer, doomed to be hunted for the rest of my short life. I heard him and I pitied him. There's no greater hex than pity, the wise ones say, but pity was all I had left for him. My story might have ended here, but it didn't. It couldn't. In our travels, my sisterhood happened upon a band of hunters in their softest state, drinking and singing rebel songs at the fireside. One of the men had a way about him I could not name. He was human, but he had the eyes of a god. He was mortal, but everything he did was marked by the ethereal. He was ghost-like. He walked with one foot in each world. When he spoke and when he sang, it was as if the whole of the other world was sounding a rhythm through him. For hours, for the whole of the night, I watched him. I watched him sleep and I met him in his dreams. I told him to find me when he woke and I told him I would be the great love of his life. Some say the gods left these lands long ago, but I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. This man, whom we shall call Finn, woke to the sound of his hunting dogs, barking with a ferocity he knew well. But when he found me, they were kneeling at my side under a yew tree. He was struck by the mythic in this moment, frozen by the sight of his vicious dogs whimpering at the hooves of a doe. And he dropped to his knees in a strange reverence. I let him see me then. I let him see my skin as the coarse hair dropped from my flesh. I let him see me as my spine straightened and my breasts swelled. I let him see me as no one had seen me in a very long time. In love we were. Some say the gods can't fall in love, but I'm here to tell you we can love so deeply a whole world might burn. I loved him. For a short time, I loved him. One night, my fin went out into the night to fight and he left me, my belly full with child, safe in his stone house. I feared nothing in that place. My grandmothers had enchanted the lands with protection and I was well guarded there. Perhaps I'd grown a bit soft in my human form. Perhaps I'd forgotten the ways of the world and the trickery of men but I shall never forget the way he looked limping toward the house and calling my name. His voice sounded so wrong, so terrible, like every bone in his beautiful body had been broken. Sive, Sive, I'd never heard my thin sound like this and I ran to him. I left the safety of my place and I ran to him. I ran to him like Matcha racing the king, I ran to him cradling my fat womb and by the time I saw his true face, it was too late. Some say the shadow man returned for me, struck me with a hazel wand and turned me back into a deer. The knowing ones understand he was there to strike me down forever, having heard of my happiness. Night after night, that shadow man writhed with an anguish over his unrequited devotion and night after night, he had planned this moment. That night did not go as it did in his vengeful fantasies, 
And in that moment, my grandmother's returned for me. My limbs and snout grew long and I was dear woman once more. We trampled the magician once and for all. And if I'm being honest, part of me died with him in that moment. When the shadow man took his last blood-soaked breath, I lost my will to remain human. I lost my desire for mortality. Some say the gods left these lands long ago, but I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. My child was born a shapeshifter like me. Many springs came and went, and little Oshin learned the language of the trees and became the greatest poet who has ever walked these lands. His father never stopped searching for us, and I stood in the shadows and watched when my babe finally met his father, my only human love. Finn knew his son's eyes, and he asked about me. Oshin knew not to speak of me or the others in our family, but he let his father see him shapeshift into a human boy. You are a wild child, my Finn said to him, and our little Oshin laughed. Your mother will not come home, will she? Finn asked. Oshin turned and looked right in my eyes then. I shook my head. He shook his, and then he said, my mother is home. Finn must have known I was there. I think of this often now. He must have known I was there in the shadows, but he did not look for me. He did not try to pull me from my untamed world. He knew I did not want to be found. And this is the mark of a man, I think. He didn't try to lure me away from what I loved. He let it be my choice and I made it. I made the choice to stay in the wilds and he took little Oshin to live with him in the stone house to bring his otherworldly poetry and tales of land spirits to the people. I miss him, of course. I miss both of them. I miss the smell of little Oshin's fur, and I miss his stories. I miss the feeling of Finn's hands on me and the way he made me laugh. I miss them, but I would miss the forest more. Some say the gods left these lands long ago, but I say the land is God. I, dear woman, say we are still here. Sing for me. (laughs) 